Thank you for listening to the Convergence House of Prayer podcast. Please enjoy this message by Pastor Greg Seamus. All right, take your Bibles, turn to Genesis. Wow, Galatians chapter 3. And I might have to slice this message in half. Is that all right? I've already sliced it in half already, so I have to slice it in thirds. Um, I want to talk to you today. It's kind of cool to have baby dedications. I want to talk to you today about adoption. And I want to talk to you about um, God's adoption. I want to talk to you about um, God as Father. This is probably our, I don't know, 10th week. So, uh, on this, and so you can grab all the podcasts if you like, and then just check it out. But um, I want to I talk to you guys. Okay, these guys did pretty good, except that they're not really separated like that. So, we're going we're gonna to kind of do this. Forgive me, turn to your neighbor and say, okay, eventually he, PG will get going again. All right, we'll go over here like that. We're going to do this. All right, is that good? Does that look good? That looked like the Trinity, but the but the but the Holy Spirit's back is not towards you. I just want you to know that, okay? Just for the sake of the illustration, right? Don't get, prophetic people, you know. Sometimes the prophetic can really, but that would be more discouraging than encouraging. So that wouldn't be prophetic. All right. Um, trying to figure out like kind of how to put this one together in worship. I was. I don't know. I was uniquely touched in worship today. And um, I've been asking the Lord um, to experience him more. Not just grab hold of him with my mind, but, but experiencing the Lord with my emotion. And so, um, so in worship today, whoo, you know, you get what you ask for, you know. And uh, when he's like, hallelujah, praise God. God. All right. So, so if I appear a little on the mellow side, um, it's probably why. Just trying to be sensitive, I guess, or staying sensitive <laughs> to the Lord. I do want to read something to you. As you guys know, um, every once in a while, I don't follow a lot of people on Instagram. Sorry if I don't follow you. But I do follow one particular, it's called it's called something to do with puns, right? It has nothing to do with the message. I just thought it was funny. So the therapist says, uh, husband and wife are counseling. So a therap- the therapist says, your wife says you never buy her flowers. Is that true? And he says, to be honest, I never knew she sold flowers. <laughs> All right. You guys can think about that for a moment has nothing to do with the message. I just thought it was really funny. Um, how do I transition from that? to? Let me just read this to you, okay? So, so God's created you and me. We are, we are um, he is our, our eternal father. So what we, what we, what we went for a couple weeks ago was just establishing, we went through Psalm 139. We talked about how he knit us together in our mother's womb. And he, he, he carefully crafted you. 
that you're not a mistake, that you have a purpose and you have an eternal purpose. And so, so in that context, I want to swing over into the New Testament where it talks about that we are, in Romans it talks about this, in Ephesians it talks about this, that we are um, the sons of God. Now, that includes both male and female. Just like the bride of Christ represents male and female. So we are the sons of God and we are the bride of Christ. Can we say amen? amen. So this is not about that. This is about... Anyway, that's a whole other thing which I would love to talk about, but I'm going to purposely not talk about so I can get to Galatians chapter 3. So it's, it's driving home, Paul is driving home this whole idea of sonship. Now, if you, if you did uh, some research, you might already know this, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, were not written first. Those books were written probably around 60 A.D., 55 to 60 A.D., 65 A.D., somewhere around there. What we do know is that the book of Galatians and or the book of James were the first books written in the New Testament. It's interesting that Paul, if, if, if we put Galatians as the top, the earliest book that was written, then we see that the earliest book in the New Testament has everything to do with sonship, that we're no longer slaves to the law, and that we are actually not just redeemed or like born again, but we're actually sons and daughters of the living God. And like, what does that mean? Like, how does that, how does that work out for me in my daily life? How does that work out for me in my my workplace, my, the marketplace, my marriage, my relationship. It has everything to do with all those things which we're going to be diving into next. But what we're trying to do is establish a foundation because there's no sense in me talking about something, no sense in me talking about maybe the second story of a building unless we understand the, the, that the foundation is solid. And so this is all about, this is all foundation. Are we cool with that? All right, and so Galatians chapter 3, verse 26, through, through Galatians chapter 4, verse 7. So let me just kind of set the context without really diving into all of Galatians, is that Paul's main argument in Galatians is that we are free from the law, that the law actually um, enslaved us due to, our, due to our sin. We came under the law and that Christ has come to set us free. And what was happening is that there was mixture in that region and false teachers had slipped in through the side doors, so to speak, and started letting the people know our um, informing the people or trying to teach the people that they have, to, they have to abide by the law or even parts of the law in order to be, uh, be born-again believers. That's the argument, in essence. 
So Paul's establishing this fact that that's, that's not true. And if you read Galatians 1, Galatians 2, up through Galatians 3, you're beginning to talk about being justified by faith and faith alone. So it's not by our works of righteousness that we've done, but according to his grace and mercy, he saved us. Aren't you glad? So he's taken this, this position, and then as he moves through, he's in Galatians 4. It's almost like Galatians 3 and the early part of Galatians 4 is almost like, I don't know, the hinge point that actually puts it all together because Paul always goes practical and always starts theological. So if you look at Romans, he's really deep theologically for the first 12 chapters or first 11 chapters, but when he hits chapter 12 and moves on, he starts talking about things practically, like how does this flesh out in my life? So in Galatians uh, 5, uh, he's talking about He's talking about uh, same marriage, or he's talking about the works of the flesh. He's talking about the gifts of the, he's talking about the fruit of the Spirit. He's talking about the works of the flesh. He's, he's, he's making this, that's Ephesians 5. He's making this, I knew I was wrong, Galatians 5, fruit of the Spirit, works of the flesh. He makes it real practical. So now he's talking about this whole idea of adoption. And I, I always thought adoption was, and still is, when a family wants to have a child, and let's say if this uh, husband, husband and wife can't have children for whatever reason, they're going to adopt a child and make that child part of their family. But the adopted child doesn't share the bloodline. And so, but in the Roman culture, the word there for adoption was not, was trans, I'll tell you that in a moment, was translated in Latin and then in the early 1300s to the word adoption, but the, what the word really meant was son placing, to place a son. And so let's go ahead and let's read this. I'm reading it out of the New King Jimmy. <laughs> Galatians chapter 3, for you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Everyone say, for you are all. Everyone say all. You're all sons of God. Through faith in Christ Jesus. Massive sentence right there. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Say amen. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So we know that Abraham lived probably 430 years before the law was even introduced. So we are heirs. Our salvation is based on the promise given to Abraham. That's another argument through the book of Galatians. Chapter 4, verse 1. Now Paul is talking about this sun placing, which was, which was really part of the Roman culture. So the book of Galatians is to the Gentiles, written primarily to the Gentile culture. So he's now using an analogy that fits the gospel message 
And he begins in verse 1 and 2 talking about this idea um, of sun placing, the ceremony of sun placing. Verse 1, now I say that an heir, as long as he is a child, does not differ at all from a slave, though he is master of all, but is under guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the father. Now, if you don't understand culture, you're not going to really grab that verse, those two verses. Even so, we, when we were children, were under, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. Everyone say adoption of sons. Now, the Amplified Classic says that we're adopted and have sonship conferred upon us. The NIV says adoption to sonship, and the NIV 1984, which, you know, I like that one, that we might receive the full rights of sons. So that gives us a little clearer understanding of what Paul's saying. Because when we think of adoption, we think we live, you know, we live in the, you know, 2019. And so when we think of adoption, there's things that we just know about adoption that might not be as clear as what Paul's trying to say here. Does that make sense? Verse 6, and because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your heart. Everyone say, my heart. Crying out, that word crying could also be translated shouting out. Shouting out, Abba, Father. Which in the Aramaic is like saying, Daddy. Very affectionate. And it was, it was actually a word that children would use to address their father. Crying out, Abba, Father, therefore you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. I would encourage you whether you have, I mean, the Passion Translation does a great job with this one, but other translations as well. Meditate on those verses and receive the revelation that the Holy Spirit wants to give you. So let's, let's talk about this, this ceremony called sun placing, and it was found in verse 1 and 2. Now, before, we, before I just kind of, I'm just going to read some, some stuff to you that would probably get it you know, that would be defined in probably two minutes as opposed to me taking five or six or seven minutes trying to define it for you. But the, the Greek word for adoption actually um, comes from two words, and it means the placing as a son. That's what adoption means in the New Testament, the placing as a son. Now, somebody has written about this, and I thought they did a great job, so let me just go ahead and read to you just a little bit of what this ceremony entails. So stick with me. Say, we're tuned in. 
This ceremony of son placing, of recognizing a son and heir by a father was referred to in the Greek, and the word's too long for me to pronounce, as the NIV in 1984 says, to receive the full rights of sons, he used this word five times in his letters. Galatians 4, 5, Romans 8, 15, and 23, Romans 9, 4, and Ephesians chapter 1, verse 5. It is a compound word made up of two Greek words. One, the first word means, so stay with me, I'm just getting a little theological here. The first one means, the first part of the word means son. The second part of the word means to place. This word describes a ceremony that occurred within the Roman culture in which a male child of a citizen achieved the status of manhood and was officially recognized as the son and the heir by his father. Prior to the ceremony, a son was considered to have the status of a slave in his father's house. Even though he had the potential to inherit his father's wealth, the son-placing ceremony, which was very common in the Roman culture, occurred sometime in the boy's teen years, usually the age of 15 to 17 years old. When his father determined it was time for him to pass from being a child under the absolute power of his father into adulthood and his true status as son and heir. In this public ceremony, the young man would remove his toga that he wore as a boy and put on the toga of manhood. Now, we've been, we, we put on Christ. This ceremony marked the entry into full citizenship in the empire and the right to vote in the assembly. Not only this, but also after the son's placing ceremony, the son becomes fully legally invested with all the rights, powers, privileges, and authority of being a son and heir to his father's possessions, wealth, and status. No longer was he viewed as a child. He was fully participating member of the society and the family. Apparently, when the father publicly introduced his designated son and heir, he announced this by declaring this boy was his son whom he loved and he was proud of. This would have resonated with Paul as there were the, these were the words God the Father spoke over Jesus at the baptism by John in the River Jordan. The Father then would place the toga of his heir along with a ring and a, of authority on his finger. Remember the prodigal son? It should be noted that the one who was placed as a son, was generally already the biological child of the father. 
Thus, it was not an adoption into the father's household. However, within Roman and Greek culture, many times there was not a male son to appoint as an heir. Infant mortality was high. I mean, extremely high. If you did your research, it was extremely high, infant mortality. And many children did not reach adulthood. To overcome this difficulty, the Romans introduced the idea of adoption. They called it adopto filio. Try that. You guys are so gifted, man. You guys. Adopto filio. Uh, maybe not quite like that. This allowed a Roman father to adopt a boy and go through the son-placing ceremony with the adopted boy. These adoptions were not necessarily of orphans. Many times, they were spare sons, that is, sons of a man who had more than one. He could effectively sell a son to a friend or a colleague who was childless. This practice was seen many times in the imperial or the royal families where murder and assassination were tragically very common. The reigning emperor would adopt and appoint new heirs after the last one died. As you guys know, understanding royalty could be bloody, you know, in, in, in the, yeah, as you go through history. So, so you get the idea of sun placing, which I will hopefully illustrate here in a few moments, all right? So let's take a, let's take a little time travel, and we're going we're gonna to travel from the, the Roman days to about 400 A.D. In about 400 A.D., the Bible is written um, in Latin by a gentleman named Jerome, and that is called Vulgate. Everyone say that. I mean, if you have studied church history, you'll probably know what I'm talking about. So around 400 A.D., Jerome, a Roman scholar and monk, undertook the task of producing a translation of the whole Bible from Greek and Hebrew into Latin. This is referred as the Vulgate and was the accepted translation by the Roman Catholic Church right into the 20th century, to our century. This was referred to as, okay, when Jerome encountered this Greek word, Sun placing, he chose to translate that word adaptio. Like a number of Jerome's translations in the Vulgate, it leaves a lot to be desired. So now let's fast forward. So now we have the word adaptio. Now let's fast forward, track with me another thousand years, around a thousand years. And so now, Wycliffe, you ever heard of Wycliffe Bible translators? All right, so Wycliffe. He goes ahead and he translates from the Vulgate, from Latin to English. And so, again, this is about a thousand years later. And when he hits this particular word that we see in Galatians, he translates the English word adoption. And the idea of adoption was still understood and practiced, but the sun-placing ceremony of the ancient world was gone from conscious memory. So now 
when we have Wycliffe translating, and now we get the word adoption, since it's been so long, since it's been around 1,300 years, this whole idea of sun placing is forgotten. So our friend, William Tyndale, comes along the scene, and he goes ahead and he translates the English from the New Testament Greek language. Now, remember, Tyndale got the word ecclesia right way back then, if you've been with us for that long. And so, during the Reformation, about the 1500s, when the Bible was being translated by many European, into many European uh, languages, the translators encountered this word and had to decide how to translate it. In the English-speaking world, the first serious translation of the New Testament from Greek was undertaken in 1530 by William Tyndale, who had a very clear understanding of the fatherhood of God and how he recognizes us as sons. In his translation, he tries to avoid the word adoption. In Galatians 4, Tyndale translates it like this, we through election might receive the inheritance that belongeth, with the TH, unto natural sons. But as you guys know, that translation was, for a lot of reasons, um, it was not accepted, and Tyndale was strangled and burned at the stake in 1536. However, Paul in Acts chapter, you guys staying with me so far? Because this is all foundation, I'm sorry, I just, Acts chapter 17, Paul tells us that we are God's offspring, created in his image and his likeness. If you look at Luke chapter 3, verse 38, especially verse 38, but all just the genealogy in Luke chapter 3. We actually carry the DNA of the fingerprints of divine origins. If you look at Psalm 139, which we did, we understand based on that that we're God's offspring. We have the DNA of divine origins where we have a natural earthly father, but he is our eternal heavenly father. So you're sitting here in this room, born of a natural, born of a woman, but conceived and we have our natural parents, though some of us, some of our parents might be deceased and gone, but we have an eternal father, and he's always been father, always been father, always been father. Okay, you guys. When we are born, we essentially become slaves of the fallen world of men that we are born into. Our sin has separated us from our father. However, this does not change our status as God's offspring. We are still his children. We are just separated from intimate relationship with him because of our sin. That's why we need to be born, uh, born again. The life and gospel that Jesus and Paul preached is about a loving father who provided a way for us to be reconciled to him, to have those chains of slavery 
broken off of us. And Paul said that this is through the blood of Jesus, God's Son, shed for us on the cross. The act of becoming a follower of Jesus allows us to begin the process of redemption. This word, some placing, is the result of that process. We become a full and participatory member of the Father's family with full rights as his children. God the Father does not, does not do adoption. He redeems and restores us unto sonship in our place in his family. So what is that? How, how, do, I, how do I illustrate how do I illustrate this? I, I was thinking about this and I was really got inspired, but you know, I do stuff that I've never done before up here. And this is one of those times I'm going to do something I've never done before. In fact, all of this I've never done before. So this is all fresh to me too. So, so here's the picture I have, right? Let's say God the Father is here. And if I had, I would pull some people up here if we had time, but I just don't have time. Here's God the Father. Here's the Son, and here's the Holy Spirit. Remember, they are face-to-face. The Godhead is face-to-face. They're in communion together. I know I talked about, like, we stand here. We actually sit here because we're seated in heavenly places. So that means I can rest, right? So, okay, that's good for the Silicon Valley. That's a good word for the Silicon Valley. Just rest, right? So we're actually placed here, but how did we get here? Well, because of my sin, I separated myself from the Godhead. And I needed a Savior. And that Savior is Jesus, as we all know. So I was out here doing my own thing, running around doing my own thing, and the Holy Spirit, the Godhead, Jesus is our great intercessor, he's praying, right? Wendy's parents are praying for me because they don't know me, but they're praying for, their, for Wendy's future spouse. So count me in, right? So here I am doing my own thing, and the Holy Spirit begins to convict me of my sin. And then I come to this place where I receive Christ as my Lord and Savior. Now, in the Spirit, I'm standing before the Father with dirty, ragged robes, as we see in the Old Testament when Joshua was standing before, remember that? Anyway, read it. All right, I don't know where, Zephaniah or whatever. But now, when I accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior, I am now clothed with Christ. The old things are gone. Behold, all things become new. What does that mean? That means I have, I am now clothed with Christ. That means that the Father actually sees me through the blood of Jesus, and I'm righteous before the Lord. So what happens is, now we're we're going to take the big step here. Now the Father is here. And in a sun-placing ceremony, the Father stands up, and he walks over to me, And now he says, you are my son in whom I'm well pleased. And he makes a declaration. When they took took the the 15-year-old kid, they would take him into the marketplace. 
they would take him into the very place where all, everybody was there, all, I mean, it was a huge ceremony that they would do this in front of the whole city, the whole town. Everybody would know it. That this father who is respected, who is loved, who's a good businessman, this man right here is now presenting his son to us in the open square, in the marketplace, saying, this is my son. And I am well pleased with my son. And now I want to officially make a declaration that he is now coming into sonship and he is also an heir to all my possessions. And you can do business with him because when you do business with him, you're doing business with me. And so he goes ahead and the son takes off his, his, his toga or the robe that he had when he was a child and the father takes the robe that he has and he puts it over the son as a, as a prophetic, not just prophetic, but a legal transaction is being made. And so in the spirit, and in the spirit, all of you are clothed with that kind of a robe, if you know Jesus. And that you actually are an heir to the Father. And that you are, oh, come on now. And so I kind of need to close. So I get this picture of the Father bringing me back into fellowship. Not as an orphan. I don't have to perform. I actually move into a place. I am son-placed in the fellowship with the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's legal because I'm positioned in Christ. It's experiential because the Holy Spirit is living inside of me and it says he is so empowering me that I actually call, I'm actually able to call Father Dad. I'm telling you, that was so night and day in the New Testament. You go from the Old Testament to the New, God is reverenced and feared and you can't even breathe his name to this place where you actually call him dad that's right how, how do I call him how do I revere God and still call him dad right so in our culture what's happened is that every other religion whether it's Islam whether it's you're having to perform to make your deity happy or satisfied. There's the requirements that you must fulfill in order to obtain something. All the requirements have been met in Christ. He did it all for you. What do you mean? There's nothing that you can do that's going to make God love you any less. There's nothing that you can do that's actually going to somehow twist the Father's arm to actually receive you. All you have to do is acknowledge by faith 
and ask Christ to come into your heart and that he comes and he places you as a son. He fills you with the Holy Spirit. The Son of God now lives in your heart. Now you live by faith. You walk by faith. You walk in the Spirit. You live by receiving. That's the evangelistic message. You see, I think the number one gift of evangelism is compassion. Because the Father so, for God so loved the world that he gave. God was not trying to get another notch on his belt. God's, come on, no one can love like the Father can love. What fueled Jesus' ministry? Obedience to the Father, but a heart filled with compassion. What did he do to the woman who was caught in adultery? Did he throw a stone? No. It's always love, L-O-V-E, coming. So you've been adopted. You've been placed as a son and a daughter right in the center of the Godhead. You could actually enjoy your walk with Jesus. You can stop striving, trying to win love, performing. I got to, you know, this whole idea of I got to read my Bible more. I got to do this more. I got to do that more. And I, I understand the intention. But would you just take a moment and rest and receive? Let him fill you with his love and let that be your motivator. Does that make sense? Verse 6. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your heart, crying out, shouting, Daddy, Father. Shouting out, Abba, Father. Therefore, hear it. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. Well, I I feel like a slave. Sorry. But you don't understand. Sorry. That's not what the word says. The word says something a little bit. It says you are no longer a slave. It's been canceled. You're a son. And here's the good news. And if a son, then an heir. Oh, we don't even understand that yet. An heir of God through Christ. So it's legal because we've been positioned as sons. Here's my conclusion. It's legal because we've been positioned as sons. We're loved. God brings us into his family. We're secure. We're secure in our relationship with him as his, just as much as the father loves the son, he loves us. We're privileged. This is our new standing before the Lord God. It's not arrogant, we're just privileged, right? He accepts us into his family. Who by nature do not belong to it, and he places us as his sons. 
we have a new heart of a true son. Number six, we have intimacy with the Lord, a new intimacy. Number seven, we're, we have the full rights of sons. And number eight, we're significant. We're significant based on the finished work of Jesus that derives, that brings us into this place of sonship and not slavery. We were slaves to the law, but no longer. We're free. We're free. Hopefully in the coming weeks, what we're going to begin doing is like making some real practical application of this. I'm, I'm finding out that this whole uh, reality, I'll just say that, this, this reality of who we are in Christ Jesus as sons and daughters changes everything. No, seriously, changes everything. This is not a cute idea. Jesus came to reveal the Father. He says, I'm the way, the truth, and the... No one comes to the... But through me. It's always been a family. What's the ecclesia? A family. Oh, man. This, if we get this revelation, I'm telling you, if we get this revelation, it's, we'll never have another, we'll never have a problem with evangelism again. I know it's quiet. I knew it would be quiet when I said that. <laughs> what does Paul say? It's the love of God that, that propels me. Yeah. Amen. See, then it becomes... It's not a have to. It's, a, it's, it's not even a get to. It's you're compelled by love. See, the person next to you is your, is your brother and your sister. At least I should have got an amen on that. <laughs> He's your brother and your sister. I think that we should kind of maybe even go back to that. Hey, you know, sometimes I say brother because I forget someone's name. <laughs> I'll be honest. I'm just, how you doing, brother? I still, I'm still, it's, yeah, I know. It's, it's still right. You've been placed. That's where you stand. That's where you sit. Right there. Cool? All right, let's stand. I know people are uncomfortable with me asking you to hold hands, but can you do that for a moment? Just spare me one more week. Let's take the hand of the person next to you. I'm just saying some. some you know, if you don't feel comfortable, then 
be that way. Lord, I, I'm asking you for greater revelation. Of every person in this room being placed as sons and daughters into the complete fellowship of the Godhead. It's mind-blowing. Lord, that you have positioned us there. Lord, teach us how to live from that. And Father, I pray that as we experience your love in greater levels and dimensions, that there would be a compelling to bring others into that place. I mean, so many others are striving to appease a Godhead, a false God that's making demands. So they're throwing the carpet out five times a day just to find some favor. Thank you, Jesus, that you went to the cross. Thank you that you took it all. And now we just receive by grace through. We stand not, not perfect people, but redeemed. We stand with our faults, but forgiven. And then we can forgive each other. And then we can love each other. Yeah, we're far from perfect, but we're loved even in our imperfection, even with all of our flaws, even in, this, in the hidden things that we're ashamed of, things that we do or whatever, we're still, you're, you're still coming towards us because that's what love does. That's what, that's what our Father does. And so we pray, Lord, that as we're just holding hands, we're holding hands as a spiritual family, and in the Spirit, may we just... Uh, embrace this holding of hands to every single member in the body of Christ all around the world. Give us a revelation of who we are. Every congregation, every pastor, all over our city, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right. Thank you. Now, we're going to have this, this beautiful lady come up here and, and chat with you for a moment. Awesome. Wow. Wow. I know I say that all the time, but it's just kind of like, he's so good. He's so good. He's so good. And I know that with a, a amount of people that are here, there's a lot of needs. And um, every Sunday we have ministers that come and they, they sign up and they say yes to pray, to pray with you, to pray for you. And so if you have those impossible situations that you're saying, God, I need, I need that, that thing. <laughs> far beyond my expectations for you to say yes. So that's what I'm just feeling. Anyone can come, but if the prayer ministry team can come up, um, they're going to be available for the next like 20 minutes for you. 
um, to receive prayer. So let us partner with you. Let us let us come in agreement with you, with your needs, with, with the things that you have brought today and believe for miracles because God is the miracle working God. Amen. He's the one that's going to answer the prayers. So let us partner. Let us partner with you. So um, um, there's going to be a, a line down this one uh, aisle over here and then uh, we'll let you, yeah, just come if you need uh, prayer. So Lord, we just again thank you. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you that you are able to do far beyond what we can ask or imagine. Thank you that we get to partner with you. We get to partner with heaven for the things yet to be seen here on earth because you are a good God. And thank you that we have full access Full access is the message that came forth today. We have full access to the middle of the Godhead that brings forth heaven here on earth. And we believe and we pray and we believe from the place of victory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this message. For more messages like this, please subscribe and thank you for listening.